Section 24 of To the Last Man by Zane Gray. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 12, Part 2. Listen, he said tersely, and bent his head a little to one side, ear to the slight breeze. They all listened. Ellen heard the beating of her heart, the rustle of leaves, the tapping of a woodpecker, and faint remote sounds that she could not name. Deer, I reckon, spoke up Summers. Ah, oh, well, I reckon they ain't trailin' us yet, replied Coulter. We gave them a shade better than they sent us. Short and sweet, ejaculated Springer, and he removed his black sombrero to poke a dirty finger through a bullet hole in the crown. That's how close I come to cashin'. I was lying behind a log, listening and watching, and when I stuck my head up a little, zam! Somebody made my bonnet leak. Where's Queen? asked Coulter. He was with me first off, replied Summers, and then when the shooting slacked, after I plugged that big, red-faced, white-haired pal of Isbel's, reckon that was Blaisdell, interrupted Springer. Queen, he got tired, laying low, went on Summers. He wanted action. I heard him chewing to himself, and when I asked him what was eating him, he upped and growled that he was going to quit this engine fighting, and he slipped off in the woods. "'Well, that's the gunfighter of it,' declared Coulter, wagging his head. "'Ever since that cowman blew, braced us, and said he was King Fisher, why Queen has been sulkier and sulkier. He can't help it. He'll do the same trick as Blue tried, and he'll sure get his everlasting. But he's the Texas breed, all right.' "'Say, do you reckon Blue really is King Fisher? queried Summers. "'Nah,' ejaculated Coulter, with downward sweep of his hand. "'Many a would-be gunslinger has borrowed Fisher's name. "'But Fisher is dead these many years. "'Ah, well, maybe. "'But don't you forget it. "'That Blue was no would-be,' declared Summers. "'He was the genuine article.' "'I should smile,' affirmed Springer.' The subject irritated Coulter. He dismissed it with another forcible gesture and a counter-question. How many left in that Isbel outfit? No tellin'. There were sure enough of them, replied Summers. Anyhow, the woods was full of flying bullets. Springer, did you account for any of them? Nope, not that I noticed, responded Springer dryly. I had my chance at the half-breed. Reckon I was nervous. Was Slater near you when he yelled out? No, he was lying beside Summers. Wasn't that a queer way for a man to act, broke in Summers. A bullet hit Slater, cut him down the back as he was lying flat. Reckon it wasn't bad, but it hurt him so that he jumped right up and staggered around. He made a target as big as a tree. And maybe them Isbels didn't riddle him. That was when I got my crack at Bill Isbel, declared Coulter with grim satisfaction. When they shot my horse out from under me, I had Ellen to think of, and couldn't get my rifle. Sure had to run, as you seen. Well, as I only had my six-shooter, there was nothing for me to do but lay low and listen to the sping of lead. Wells was standing up behind a tree, about thirty yards off. He got plugged, and falling over, he began to crawl my way, still holding to his rifle. I crawled along the log to meet him, but he dropped about halfway. 
I went on and took his rifle and belt. When I peeped out from behind a spruce bush, then I seen Bill Isbel. He was shooting fast, and all of them was shooting fast. That was when they had the open shot at Slater. Well, I bored Bill Isbel right through his middle. He dropped his rifle, and all bent double, he fooled around in a circle till he flopped over the rim. I reckon he's laying right up there somewhere below that dead spruce. I'd sure like to see him. Ah, you'd be crazy as queen if you tried that, declared Summers. We're not out of the woods yet. I reckon not, replied Coulter, and I've lost my horse. Where'd you leave yours? They're down the canyon below that willow break, and saddled and none of them tied. Reckon we'll have to look them up before dark. Coulter, what are we going to do? demanded Springer. Wait here a while, then cross the canyon and work round up under the bluff back to the cabin. And then what? queried Summers, doubtfully eyeing Coulter. We've got to eat, and we've got to have blankets, rejoined Coulter testily, and I reckon we can hide there and stand a better show in a fight than running for it in the woods. Well, I'm giving you a hunch that it looked like you were running for it, retorted Summers. Yes, and packing the girl, added Springer. Looks funny to me. Both rustlers eyed Coulter with dark and distrustful glances. What he might have replied never transpired, for the reason that his gaze, always shifting around, had suddenly fixed on something. Is that a wolf? he asked, pointing to the rim. Both his comrades moved to get in line with his finger. Ellen could not see from her position. Sure, that's a big loafer, declared Summers. Reckon he's scented us. There he goes along the rim, observed Coulter. He doesn't act leery. Looks like a good sign to me. Maybe the Isbels have gone the other way. Looks bad to me, rejoined Springer gloomily. And why? demanded Coulter. I seen that animal. First time I reckoned it was a loafer. Second time it was right near them Isbels. And I'm damned now if I don't believe it's that half-loafer sheepdog of gas Isbels. Well, what if it is? Ha, huh. sure we needn't worry about hiding out, replied Springer, sententiously. With that dog, Jean Isbel could trail a grasshopper. The hell you say, muttered Coulter. Manifestly, such a possibility put a different light upon the present situation. The men grew silent and watchful, occupied by brooding thoughts and vigilant surveillance of all points. Summers slipped off into the brush, soon to return, with intent look of importance. I heard something, he whispered, jerking his thumb backward, rolling gravel, cracking of twigs. No deer. Reckon it'd be a good idea for us to slip round across this bench. Well, you fellas go, and I'll watch here, returned Coulter. Not much, said Summers, while Springer leered knowingly. Coulter became incensed, but he did not give way to it. Pondering a moment, he finally turned to Ellen. You wait here till I come back, and if I don't come in reasonable time, you slip across the canyon and through the willows to the cabins. Wait till about dark. With that, he possessed himself of one of the extra rifles and belts and silently joined his comrades. Together they noiselessly stole into the brush. 
Ellen had no other thought than to comply with Coulter's wishes. There was her wounded uncle, who had been left unattended, and she was anxious to get back to him. Besides, if she had wanted to run off from Coulter, where could she go? Alone in the woods, she would get lost and die of starvation. Her lot must be cast with the Jorth faction until the end. That did not seem far away. Her strained attention and suspense made the moments fly by. By and by, several shots pealed out far across the side canyon on her right, and they were answered by reports sounding closer to her. The fight was on again. But these shots were not repeated. The flies buzzed. The hot sun beat down and sloped to the west. The soft, warm breeze stirred the aspens. The ravens croaked. The red squirrels and blue jays chattered. Suddenly, a quick, short yelp electrified Ellen, brought her upright with sharp, listening rigidity. Sure, it was not a wolf, and hardly could it be a coyote. Again she heard it, the yelp of a sheepdog. She had heard that often enough to know. And she rose to change her position so she could command a view of the rocky bluff above. Presently, she espied what really appeared to be a big timber wolf. But another yelp satisfied her that it really was a dog. She watched him. Soon it became evident that he wanted to get down over the bluff. He ran to and fro and then out of sight. In a few moments his yelp sounded from lower down, at the base of the bluff, and it was now the cry of an intelligent dog that was trying to call someone to his aid. Ellen grew convinced that the dog was near where Coulter had said Bill Isbel had plunged over the declivity. Would the dog yelp that way if the man was dead? Ellen thought not. No one came, and the continuous yelping of the dog got on Ellen's nerves. It was a call for help, and finally she surrendered to it. Since her natural terror when Coulter's horse was shot out from under her, and she had been dragged away, she had not recovered from fear of the Isbels. But calm consideration now convinced her that she could hardly be in a worse plight in their hands than if she remained with Coulter's. So she started out to find the dog. The wooded bench was level for a few hundred yards, and then it began to heave in rugged rocky bulges up toward the rim. It did not appear far to where the dog was barking, but the latter part of the distance proved to be a hard climb over jumbled rocks and through thick brush. Panting and hot, she at length reached the base of the bluff to find that it was not very high. The dog espied her before she saw him, for he was coming toward her when she discovered him. Big, shaggy, grayish, white and black, with wild, keen face and eyes he assuredly looked the reputation Springer had accorded him. But sagacious, guarded was his approach. He appeared friendly. Hello, doggy, panted Ellen. What's wrong up here? He yelped. His ears lost their stiffness. His body sank a little, and his bushy tail wagged to and fro. What a gray, clear, intelligent look he gave her. Then he trotted back. Ellen followed him around a corner of bluff to see the body of a man lying on his back. Fresh earth and gravel lay about him, attesting to his fall from above. 
He had on neither coat nor hat, and the position of his body and limbs suggested broken bones. Ellen hurried to his side. She saw that the front of his shirt, low down, was a bloody blotch, but he could lift his head, his eyes were open, and he was perfectly conscious. Ellen did not recognize the dusty, skinned face, yet the mold of features, the look of the eyes, seemed strangely familiar. "'You're Jorth's girl,' he said, in faint voice of surprise. "'Yes, I'm Ellen Jorth,' she replied. "'And are you Bill Isbel?' "'All that's left of me. But I'm thanking God somebody come, even a Jorth.' Ellen knelt beside him and examined the wound in his abdomen. A heavy bullet had indeed, as Coulter had avowed, torn clear through his middle. Even if he had not sustained other serious injury from the fall over the cliff, the terrible bullet wound meant death very shortly. Ellen shuddered. How inexplicable were men! How cruel, bloody, mindless! "'Isabel, I'm sorry. There's no hope,' she said, low-voiced. "'You've not long to live. I can't help you. God knows I'd do so if I could.' All over, he sighed with his eyes looking beyond her. I reckon. I'm glad. But you can do something for me, will you? Indeed, yes. Tell me, she replied, lifting his dusty head on her knee. Her hands trembled as she brushed his wet hair back from his clammy brow. I've something on my conscience, he whispered. The woman, the sensitive in Ellen, understood and pitied him then. Yes, she encouraged him. I stole cattle, my dad's and Blaisdell's, and made deals with Dags. All the crookedness wasn't on Jorth's side. I want my brother Jean to know. I'll try to tell him, whispered Ellen, out of her great amaze. We were all a bad lot, except Jean, went on Isbel. Dad wasn't fair. God, how he hated Jorth. Jorth, yes. Who was your father? Well, they're even now. How so? faltered Ellen. Your father killed Dad. At the last, Dad wanted to save us. He sent word he'd meet him face to face and let that end the feud. They met out in the road. But someone shot Dad down with a rifle, and then your father finished him. And then Isbel added Ellen, with unconscious mocking bitterness, your brother murdered my dad. "'What?' whispered Bill Isbel. "'Sure you got it wrong. "'I reckon Jean could have killed your father, but he didn't. "'Queer, we all thought.' "'Ah, who did kill my father?' burst out Ellen, "'and her voice rang like great hammers at her ears. "'It was Blue. "'He went in the store alone, "'faced the whole gang alone, "'bluffed them, taunted them, "'told them he was King Fisher. "'Then he killed your dad, "'and Jackson Jorth, and Jean was out back of the store. We were out front. There were shooting. Colmer was hit. Then Blue ran out, bad hurt. Both of them died in Meeker's yard. And so Jean Isbel has not killed a Jorth, said Ellen, in strange, deep voice. No, replied Isbel earnestly. I reckon this feud was hardest on Jean. He never lived here. And my sister Anne said he got sweet on you. Now, did he? Slow, stinging tears filled Ellen's eyes, and her head sank low and lower. Yes, he did, she murmured tremulously. 
Ah, well, that accounts, replied Isabel wonderingly. Too bad it might have been. A man always sees different when he's dying. If I had my life to live over again. My poor kids deserted in their babyhood, ruined for life, all for nothing. May God forgive. Then he choked and whispered for water. Ellen laid his head back, and rising, she took a sombrero and started hurriedly down the slope, making dust fly and rocks roll. Her mind was a seething ferment. Leaping, bounding, sliding down the weathered slope, she gained the bench to run across that, and so on down into the open canyon to the willow-bordered brook. Here she filled the sombrero with water and started back forced now to walk slowly and carefully. It was then, with the violence and fury of intense muscular activity denied her, that the tremendous import of Bill Isbel's revelation burst upon her very flesh and blood, and transfiguring the very world of golden light and azure sky and speaking forest land that encompassed her. Not a drop of the precious water did she spill, not a misstep did she make, Yet so great was the spell upon her that she was not aware she had climbed the steep slope until the dog yelped his welcome. Then with all the flood of her emotions surging and resurging, she knelt to allay the parching thirst of this dying enemy, whose words had changed frailty to the strength, hate to love, and the gloomy hell of despair to something unutterable. But she had returned too late. Bill Isbel was dead. End of chapter 12, part 2